It's time to say goodbye. It's it really is time. If if a quality of death is what you want for your beloved pet, if a quality of passing is what is important to you, it's time to say goodbye in a peaceful, loving way. Because if not, you will be stressed the entire time. You're rushing to the emergency room at two o'clock in the morning. And that's why I started this business in the first place. Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan Podcast Show. And today I am with the Dr. McVitie, who, well, let me read her bio. It's I. This <laughs> Sorry, is actually, I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> not the whole thing. Don't worry. So this is um. I'm excited about this because this is a podcast which is very, I'm always excited. That's how I start my podcast. But this is a, a podcast which is very close to my heart. So I'll read the bio. Um, Dr. McVetty founded the Lap of Love Veterinary Hospital just three months after graduating from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. I got to say, when I read that bit, I was like, whoa, this was your calling. This is, this is- <laughs> very much. <laughs> and since that time, she's grown the service from one veterinarian herself to a nationwide network of more than 250 doctors and a full-time interdisciplinary support staff dedicated to making the end-of-life experience for pets and the people that love them as dignified and peaceful as possible. Nearly half a million families have benefited from Dr. McVetty's vision. Welcome. Wow. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dan. Uh, you're more than welcome. So first question, in your own words, can you explain for those people who are kind of thinking, I think I understand what she does, what it's about, what, what's Lap of Love, what do you do, and, and how did it come about? Yes. So, okay. So I volunteered for human hospice when I was in college and I, it came by because I was just, I was reading a book one day called don't sweat the small stuff. And the author and his wife talked about volunteering for human hospice and what incredible experience it was. And at that time I was 19 years of age. I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I didn't really, I had no real huge loss in my life at that point. Yeah. So I went and volunteered for human hospice and it was this incredible experience. And I, I wasn't able to do it for, for very long. I think it was nine or 10 months that I was able to do it in, in college. But the, tr first of all, the training that they give you. So as a volunteer, you go through this weekend long, long training and they do these exercises where like, basically you're put in the position and they, it's almost, it's a little bit like a guided meditation, honestly, of like, think about losing everything you love in your life. Think about losing your hair. Think about losing, you know, your friends because everyone has died because most of them are older than, you know, have, have already died. Mm -hmm. And like all these little things that you get into this mentality of like what it must be like to literally be facing your own end of life. I mean, that's yeah. like this, I don't know, potentially the craziest and worst thing we can ever think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they walk you through this stuff. So when I, when I got fast forward into veterinary medicine, I found myself very comfortable in those conversations. And that's not a very, that's yes. not something that we are taught in veterinary school. So what it looks like in veterinary medicine is that, and I did emergency medicine. <clears throat> so people would come in on a Friday and they've got a 15, 16 year old dog. They've got a 19 year old cat, whatever. And they know that their dog or cat is facing the end of life and they know that it's going to happen soon, but they don't want it to happen that day. And their mother, father, husband, wife, son, daughter, get home on Sunday, get home from college in a couple of days. And can you just keep them comfortable for a couple of days? And I would say, yes, that's hospice care. And when I would say the word hospice, their shoulders relaxed. They just, they got this look on their face that are, that's like, oh, finally somebody gets it. And then obviously the next, you know, the next thing that was in my mind to say was I'll come to your home on Sunday and we'll euthanize there. And thankfully, Dr. Katie Meyer, who I worked for in Tampa, Florida, she was the most amazing boss. And she would let me offer that to people. And it just, it was this obvious thing. It was just so when you start thinking about it like that, you know, giving people a peaceful end of life, you know, helping them through the process, helping them feel okay with it. And be really honest with you, most people need permission to accept the euthanasia decision. They almost, they want the doctor to make them. 
euthanize. You know, they want the doctor to be the one, you know what I'm talking about, right? To say, this is a good time. This is what I would do if he were mine. You're making the right decision. Why is that? They don't want to give up. They don't want to be the one to give up. They want me to be the one to say, this is the only next decision that you have. Yeah. So, because it's this guilt factor that they have. People will, you know, we have a, in my business name, it says veterinary hospice and euthanasia, like in the business name, right? So when people call, and I answered my own phone for three years when I first started the business. So I answered tens of thousands of phone calls from families. They don't, they, they literally, they don't want to be the one to ask for euthanasia. And they feel very guilty if they are. People will say, I feel like I'm killing, um, uh, calling in a hit on my dog. They'll sign the, you know, the consent form and they'll, they'll say, I feel like I'm signing the death warrant for my cat. It's just, they don't want it on their shoulders. And no one ever taught me that in vet school. No one ever taught us, mm. be, you have to be the first one that says euthanasia. Because I'd be in the emergency room you know, 22 year old, brand new graduate sitting there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, surely these people are considering euthanasia. Like, how can you not their dog? Like, it's not going to make it through. I can, yeah, I can try a $3,000 surgery, but there's like a 5% chance that he's even going to make it alive. And if he does, then he's going to have months and months of nursing care to potentially even make it out. And it's just, you have to look at it. Like a human, you can say, we're going to try, we're going to do our best, but you just can't say that to an animal. They it's, it's a sufferable condition under most circumstances to put them through these long traumatic things and then keep them hospitalized for a very long period of time. I think the other thing is probably, and this is not specifically you, but generally vets probably overestimate yes. the understanding and knowledge that your average Joe has. <laughs> I yes. mean, a dog, a dog may look like it's almost dying but I'd still got to go, well, surely the vets can just do something. They can do something. They can wave a wand or they can give one injection. Like, can't you just give them an injection? And it'll be, and, it'll be done. And-, and I bet sometimes the vets go, yeah, yeah, he's fine. We'll just give him this and he'll pick up. We don't know. We don't understand the difference between a dog who's on right. his last legs and a dog who's might be, but so we don't know. So yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's very fascinating because veterinarians and and I listen I I am one you know so I I know yeah. how we think yes and we're we're just we are medical doctors that are trained to save and so it's not even in our training to say it's time to say goodbye it's it really is time mm-hmm. if if a quality of death is what you want for your beloved pet if a quality of passing is what is important to you it's time to say goodbye in a peaceful, loving way. Because if not, you will be stressed the entire time. You're rushing to the emergency room at two o'clock in the morning. And that's why I started this business in the first place. So the whole, even, even just the phrase lap of love was supposed to be this, like, you know, in my mind, this vision of a pet being on their mom or dad's lap, you know, that's what we all want for our pets. Now, a little tiny secret, they like 13 years ago when I started lap of love, I, I shouldn't have even called a lap of love because they didn't really think it was a veterinary service at the beginning. It was like, I think one of them thought I was prostitutes. <laughs> so bad. So had I to do it all over again, I would not have called it lap of love. <laughs> These things happen. They listen, they haven't. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> so. I read the story about lap of love and how, the lady came in and she had the the dog on her lap and yeah and she asked me this lady came into the emergency room and she asked me she says can you just leave my dog on on my lap can you not take him off my lap yeah and like that i'll never forget that because i was like that's perfect and and she had she she had him in in her arms i euthanized him in her arms and she walked out with a dog in her arms you know to me like that's like kind of the perfect it's what i wanted to create within home care which is like when you understand the story, it's a, it's a perfect. Then it makes sense, right? <laughs> I mean, we're we're in the same boat. Trust me. I mean, Doggy Dan. I mean, the number of people who kind of why are you called that? What's, right. If it's not in the dog, right. if you're not right. in the dog world, and I'm going in, I don't know. I mean, it's all over my yeah. car, and some people still or people hear me being called that, and they think I've been called Dodgy Dan, and so I have the oh, same problem. Right. Dodgy Dan. Why yeah, I mean, you have to have humor in in, in what we do. You know, you exactly. gotta just explain. people don't forget my name. I'm sure Lapa loves beautiful. <laughs> So, wow, wow. And and yeah. so 
In in terms of the, the the process that a lot of people go through, I guess I'm just kind of they they call you up hopefully quite a long time before and can you talk us through like how? Yeah, and it it varies it varies a lot. Um, but I I I'll tell you that about eighty five percent of our phone calls come with less than forty eight hours notice. Yeah. So. Yeah. A lot of the times, and I don't necessarily think that it's because, or I know that it's not necessarily because those pets are dying so much as it's because when a family makes that decision, when you said to yourself, it's time, very rarely do people then want to make that appointment two weeks out and then look at their dog every single day and like 10 days, nine days, they don't want to do that. And when that decision has been made, it's very like, it's a, this, we're going to get it done you know, they call us. And so in in that way, from a business standpoint, we're very urgent care type Mm. of model um, versus an emergency care. And because cops don't like it when I go through stop signs and red lights and speed and stuff like that, I tend to not, I I get pulled over for those things, you know, so I I can't like rush to a home, but we are very, very much in urgent care. You know, you, you get up in the morning, your pets had a really bad night, and you need me there by 5 p.m., you know, something like that. That's that, that's typically the families. Um, most of us or most of our phone calls come from regular veterinarians that will refer the families to us. Um, and what happens a lot of times is either they're at the emergency room, you know, like I like I used to be and and the family wishes to have an in-home experience or um, the family calls the regular veterinarian and says, can you come to my home? And they say, no, we can't because regular vets typically cannot leave their practice. Mm. It's there. Everyone is so busy. We don't have enough veterinarians out there anyway. So to leave the, get in the car and leave their practice is a significant amount of time. Um, so then they'll, then, then of course they can refer to us. Wow. And I'm trying to picture I kind of want to share a little bit of my, my story because then, because I've only got my reference point. Yeah, of course. And I'm very curious and I think it'd be interesting for other people. My mm. reference point was, I'll tell you a little bit more about my dear dog, Peanut, who passed away, Peanut Butter. But um, she's kind of why I'm so fascinated about this. But but I, all of my animals, I'm trying to think how many have I had, a cat and two dogs. I've When they've passed away, I've pretty much always been with them, kind of holding their paw, almost on my lap or I'm right there. The whole family's there. And they, it's a very intimate moment. Mm-hmm. You know, dear Inca, I'll just share with dear Inca, who is this little doggy here. That's Inca. Mm-hmm. Always one so, ear up, one ear down. Love it. She was the most fearful dog in the world when we got her. I I remember right out there on the garden, I remember sitting there thinking, I'm Doggy Dan. I've got this dog from the rescue center and she is a nightmare. She is going to ruin my business. She barks, she growls. She's gonna, no one's going to believe I'm a good dog trainer. I've got the nightmare one. She's a nightmare. Anyway, she got better and better because I realized I did have a method that worked. It did work. She turned into a beautiful animal. She turned into the perfect dog, I realized, after two, and a half, two years. She's great with the kids. She was still. T- she was the most nervous dog you'll ever meet. That was the problem. On the scale of one to ten, she was down at the one. Terrified. Mm-hmm. When the vet came to put her down, put her to sleep, euthanize. I'll never forget. She they lay there and she looked into my eyes. And normally it'd be like there's a person here, and I know she was sick, but she was still totally compass mentis. And the vet came, and she kind of saw him. And she looked at me and the vet took her paw and put the needle in and she did not break eye contact and she mm. kept eye contact and her heart stopped and I realized she passed over and she was still looking straight into my eyes. Wow. She knew what was coming. She knew what was happening. Yeah. And I just wonder, have you seen a lot of that? Because it felt like a very deep, spiritual gratitude, a special moment that I'll never forget till the day I die. I would, I would say, yes, I have seen a lot of it. And, and I, and I say that with immense honor that I get to witness that between animals and their humans. And it comes in all different shapes and sizes. It comes in people saying like, did you feel that? 
you know, and, mm. or that, did you see that? And, or they would, they would think like, he's still with me. And then, and then, you know, I'll, I'll say something or I'll move or the dog will like move apart or something like that. And then like be, people will just have this moment. Like it is, it's, it is a, a spiritual moment that mm. they have. And to really think about it, like we have the honor of witnessing, you know, this passing over that we are, mm. uh, allowing or perhaps uh permitting i'm trying to find the right word you know just that we that we're we're ushering them kind of into the next world and forget the morality of whether euthanasia is you know you feel something that's moral that's like a completely separate conversation but i can tell you as a veterinarian you know it's it's something that is our responsibility and an honor to to provide you know, when those right circumstances are there. And, and a lot of times, and in fact, I would say most of the time, we're not just stopping suffering that's occurring in the moment, but we're preventing suffering from occurring at all and preventing it from getting worse. Because as we know in humans, you know, the death dying process is not something that's painless by any means. I mean, mother nature has a kind of a, a sick mind when it comes to death a little bit. And with euthanasia, we, I call it an epidural. You know, euthanasia is, is an epidural for death. And it's, death is going to happen anyway, right? Just like the birthing process. I have four kids myself, like the baby's in there, the baby's coming out somehow mm, or another. Mm, mm, and mm. the epidural just makes it a little bit easier. It's not necessary. It's not something that you have to have. You know, three of my children were born at home under natural, you know, everything. Like it's not necessary, but it just makes it a whole heck of a lot nicer. Yeah. And that's how I look at euthanasia, which is not necessary. It just makes this dying process that's going to happen anyway a lot nicer and a lot less painful. Mm. So yeah, the spirit back to the spirituality of it though. It's, it's this once, once people kind of accept the fact that it's here, that it's, it's being done. And that's the irony of it too, is that animals get it. Yeah. <laughs> We're the ones that have a problem with it. You know, we're the ones that are like, is it right? Is it right? Are we doing the right thing? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Where are they going? Are they going to heaven? Are they not going to heaven? You know, there's someone else on the other side waiting for them. Like we have these questions. And I, I feel that watching animals through this for many years, they're the ones that go through this experience with the purest of hearts and the purest of intentions. And so what is the general feeling when because you must have been in many houses i'm presuming where a dog has passed away but and there's two other dogs or there's a cat and a dog yeah. and and they come up and do you see quite a bit of them coming over and meeting the yeah. yeah i do and it's it's very just like humans you know us humans handle death very very differently other animals handle they all i mean you know better than anybody like they have they all have their different personalities and and i i would say that when you lose an alpha is when you will sometimes see changes in the beta dogs, but the beta dogs is more just because their true personalities are coming out. You know, they're not being kept at bay by the alpha dogs. I mean, I would love for you to hear you expand on this in a second too, but like the other way, when you lose a beta dog, you don't always see an alpha dog caring or even showing any emotion at all. And I remember there's this one time, you know, and, and cats are very interesting because cats all the time, I'll euthanize, uh, actually, even, even if I'm euthanizing a dog, cats like come out of the woodwork and people say to me all the time, they're like, that cat never comes out. He, he's yeah. never here when strangers are here. And I think it's like the whole feeling of what we're doing and the emotional, you know, probably change in the owners, the cats just like come out and like, they want to witness it. Yeah. There was this one time I was euthanizing a cat and the cat died and another cat came out of nowhere. Once the cat died and walked up to the dead cat's body and goes and smacks it and then walks away. <laughs> and the owner was like, he's wanted to do that his entire life. <laughs> he goes, the one, the cat that died was this bully, you know, and just like was really mean to the other cats. So the other one just went, you know, feline, you know, screw you and just kind of walked away. And so like, that just always reminds me, like these animals just have this pure interpretation of what's going on. They you don't. Couldn't make it up. I. You just can't make that stuff up, you know, but the, but the animals aren't looking at the owners or me and saying like, how dare you? How could you do this? No, you know, no, no. They don't like, they don't have that. No. They're so pure in what they're thinking. If you, oh, then there's this another one that I was, um, I euthanized the dog and this, the other dog walked over the body 
and started eating out of the food bowl. And the owner was like bona fide mad. He's like, how could she eat at a time like this? That's just terrible. How, you know, I'm like, <laughs> she doesn't think about it like that. Like she's fine. <laughs> so wow. I don't know. I have, I mean, have, is that what you would imagine as a dog trainer? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've written the book called what the dogs taught me about being a parent, because I saw so many similarities between parenting as a parenting children and parenting dogs. Of course, children, children and dogs are different. Let's get that clear. However, you know, you can love them the same amount and there's so many similarities. However, a dog will never be a child and a child will never be a dog. But there's so much crossover, especially in that area of emotions. And the personality of the dog, like you say, is is just huge. And totally the alpha, you know, if we were to touch in the alpha thing, the lady that helped me um, get on the path of the method that I, I use was a lady named Jan Fennell from the UK. And I remember reading her book and she talked about how, I can't remember, so I'm, I'm freewheeling this, but she had five dogs, six dogs or whatever. And then one of the dogs died and it was the, the, the big dog, the German shepherd dog, who was the alpha female, I think, of the pack. And when she came back into her house, the other dog started having a full on savage fight. And she couldn't understand what, what, you know, the dogs passed away and now you two bitches are having a fight. I mean, this is just appalling timing. With, with hindsight, I remember going, I realized they were fighting for who's the alpha female. hundred percent. That's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that it ties in. And so that alpha, when the alpha passes over, absolutely things change, but the dynamics could be phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know, when my big dog Peanut passed away, she was the alpha female. She was the absolute matriarch. But I guess my wife and I were always the alpha male and female. My whole method it revolves around understanding how to, in a loving way, explain to the dogs, you guys aren't in charge, I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my wife is. Which means when you understand that, when you come home in that scenario, if there's five dogs and the alpha female dog disappears, the other two females don't start fighting because actually there's another female who's in charge. She's a different species, but she's running the show. There's nothing right. to fight for. So that's how the whole method evolves. So, But when it comes down to how dogs react and respond, I can only speak for a few dogs that I've seen pass away, but <clears throat> I knew when Peanut... God bless her soul. So peanut is where that's peanut butter there. Aww. And she was one of the most special dogs in the world. She's the only reason I'm here because she was so good. Everyone said, you got the best dog in the world, best trained dog in the world. I thought I was a great trainer without even doing any training until I got my second dog Inca. And that's the one who I realized, oh no, I haven't got a clue. I just got lucky. Yeah. When Peanut passed away, I knew because one of my dogs is what I would call a king dog, like the alpha male of all alpha males. And he has a strange sense of awareness of death. It's like that is his zone. He's not interested in light, fluffy stuff, pats, cuddles. He, he loves me and he'll cuddle me, but he's not like a silly billy boy, likes to play and have fun. He's into the serious stuff. And when there's something serious going on, like you're really mourning or really hurt or something really bad has happened, he comes over and he's like, what's going on? What's happening? And when somebody talks about my brother's dying, he comes over, he's fascinated. And we even had a chicken who passed away who loved Jack. And the two of them were like this. So the chicken would walk on his back, go through his legs. None of the other chickens would come close to him. But he was like, yeah, this is my chicken. Um, she was called Crossbeak. When Crossbeak passed away, Jack came to the funeral. You know, we had a burial and a funeral in our garden. Mm -hmm. He then lay in front of where she was buried for three and a half, four hours. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. We're like, so, yeah. what's he doing? What earth? We're like, he is, he is paying homage and holding space. Whether you say he was just thinking about her, m meditating, missing her, protecting her body, yeah. I mean, but he never protected a body when she was alive. So it's like he saw her go down under the ground. She knew. So I knew something was going to happen when Peanut passed away. And sure enough, Peanut passed away. And, and her actual passing is quite amazing. I'll, I'd love to share it with you. 
But what I'd had set up, and it sounds a bit weird, but I guess I'm a dog trainer who's fascinated in dog behavior. I take videos. I had a camera set up, not so much of Peanut, but of the other dogs coming in. So the other, I let the three dogs out of the car. They couldn't see her. I mean, basically, it wasn't a lot of screaming and shouting. Her heart stopped beating, and that was it. I went to get them out of the car. Of the three dogs, Inca and Moses came trotting in. They kind of came trotting in right up to Peanut, who was lying there. Didn't look any different like than she had from the last two days because she'd just been lying there for two days, hadn't moved. All that had happened was her heart had stopped beating and her eyes were now. We'd had to check many times. Are you alive? Are you still alive? Dead? Alive? Still alive? Okay. She was dead. They came over, sniffed, and then they started doing this pour up, which is like a, a bit of a submissive kind of, oh dear, help me, kind of looking on the side, kind of looking at each other, licking their lips, kind of going, oh my gosh, she's dead. Well, oh, okay, what do we do now? Okay, kind of came over to me, looked at me, oh, a little bit of kind of like, oh, change in the, you know, like, it's almost like a change of season. Oh, new season, uh-huh. peanuts gone, what do we do? So they were that kind of funny, excited, not sure uh-huh. energy, which was interesting. Jack refused to walk into the kitchen from the far end of the house. He refused to even come in the kitchen, never mind come in the lounge where Peanut was. He already knew. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's a camera of me saying, Peanut, um, Jack, come on, come on in. And he's like, no way. Mm-hmm. I've never, in over a decade, I've never seen him not cross that. Unless I've said, don't come in. He yeah. just walks in and here he was. he was. I tried to bribe him in with food. I was like, Jack, come on in here. He's like, no way. <laughs> He would not come in. And then he went and climbed into a car, my old car, which is the car I had. And he lay in the back seat. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you getting in the back of that car? I couldn't work. I went to get him out. And it's the one time when I went to get him out. And I was like, come on. I grabbed his collar. And as I pulled him, he was like, looked at me and went, buddy, get your hand off me. I mean it. Yeah. It's like I, it wasn't like I'm going to bite you now, but he's like, buddy, do leave me here. Then I realized that is the space that Peanut, when it was just me and Peanut, we did the consultations together. She lay in that back seat. That was probably the space she spent more time than ever. And wow. he was going to lie there, and he lay there for about four hours and just lay there holding space. Wow. So that's my experience of the dogs watching the other animals. But when Inca passed away, it was like the dogs came over and went, oh, yep, she's gone. Much more kind of, hey-ho, move on, another one gone. Another yeah. one bites the dust, no big deal, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing really changes. It's, so there No, was they're, this... all, they're all so different. They're, they... they're just so different. They have their own personalities, their own ways of grieving, their own... I will say that there are some times when people will call us a day or two after and they'll say, you know, my dog or my cat... Is ha- or you to be the dog, uh, you know, having a really hard time grieving and that yep. sort of thing. And yeah, what I what I what I will say when that when they say that is, is I'll say what how are you doing? Are you okay? Yes. And they almost always say I'm having a terrible time. I haven't gotten out of bed. And I remember I remember you know one time many years ago I was sick and I was like I was in bed for like a weekend, and my little rat terrier stayed with me the whole weekend. And I think it was maybe once a day that I got out of bed to take her out. I mean, but, and if you look at it from the outside, you could say, oh, your dog's sick. She's in bed all day. Like, no, she was with me. (laughs) She was reacting to my emotions. She was there with me. She was holding that space with me, you know? So I think sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when those extended uh, changes in behavior happen, a lot of times it's out of reaction to the mom or dad also. Totally, totally, yeah. Yeah, they, they read it like a book. Tell me, what um, do many people, because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of not being with my dog when they passed away. I wouldn't dream of saying, she's going to die. I don't want to be there. It doesn't feel, sorry, I shouldn't mock, but I can't be there. I don't want to see. I'm just going to leave her to die on her own. I couldn't yeah. dream. I can't dream of people doing that. I can't imagine it. But in the same way that if my mum or dad or my children were, I'm like, I, it's not about me, it's about my dog. Do many people say I'm not going to be there and they pass them? Not many. It's, no. it's, it's not many, but it does happen. And I think it's an important thing. You know, I think it was a couple of years ago where there was some tweet that came out that was like the hardest part of being a veterinarian is when, is when people just drop their dog off to die and they're alone and they're looking for them. And it got like all this, you know, 
media attention. And I think even one of the one of one of the news articles posted my picture with this article. And and like uh, the veterinary, all of us veterinarians were like, that is not what happens. Okay, this was not written by a veterinarian. Because it's there so are, rare. It's very very rare. It was. Well, no, what they, what this tweet was, it was, it was about like, Hey, um, it basically said the hardest part of being a veterinarian is when people drop off their dog for euthanasia, they don't stay with euthanasia. And then when we're euthanizing the, the dog, that the dog's going and looking around for their owner, wondering where they are. That's a lot of emotions that you're putting on a canine brain that I think thinks a lot more purely than we do. But my, my point is saying that is that a, it does happen. There are some times, and I have been with many, many people, particularly in, in, in home situation where I'll go to their home and they'll say, I, I just can't be with him at that final moment. And, and I get it, but there's these things that happen in people's lives. I mean, sometimes these dogs and these, you know, animals are the last connection that they have to a spouse that's died to a child that committed suicide to, you know, another family member that was killed in a car accident. I mean, I can go on and on and on and losing this animal is like losing that person all over again. Mm. And it's highly traumatic for people. So it does happen. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. And I tell every veterinarian and every veterinary, you know, team don't ever judge somebody that does that because you don't know what has gone on. And as, as veterinarians, we would say that I would say the same thing as you. I would never dream of not being there with them. I would never drop my dog off, but that doesn't mean that somebody that does, doesn't have this like super bona fide reason. Now I will tell you, that if people, if I go to a home and people say, I just can't be there. What I will say is if you are, if, if you, if, if, if you're thinking about at all being there, at least be here through the sedation process. Mm. And I I'll sedate, I'll give an injection for sedation. They go to sleep. They, you know, they calm down, they lay down, like they're going, like they're asleep. And then probably 80% of the time people end up staying through the euthanasia yeah. and particularly with children and especially teenagers that you know, teenagers can sometimes be super dramatic, shocker, shocker, right? Um, and they're like, I'm not going to be here. I'll say, just stay through the sedation. And then if they're still wondering if they should stay, I, then I say, you need to stay because you need to know in your mind that this is just a go to sleep and, mm. you know, that you're, you don't make up a story in your mind yeah. about what happened. And that's not what happened. Now I'll tell you a funny story to lighten the mood a little bit. So when I first started, yeah. lap of love this gentleman called me and he said he was very very nice on the phone and he's like look my mom and dad have this ancient dog like this dog is ancient can't blind cataracts like eyeballs are completely crusted over you know deaf everything this dog is like 10 pounds and in the, and he's like this dog has got to go <laughs> like it should have gone two years ago you know and, um, and, and he goes, um, but my mom and dad don't want to be there. They're, they're elderly. They're going to be facing their own deaths at some point. You know, can, can you just go into the home and euthanize the dog and then leave? And I mean, this is probably like the second or third month that I had ever been doing lab of love. And oh, by the way, less than six months at, since I'd been out of school. So I'm like, sure, I guess, you know, so I emailed, you know, I sent him the consent form and all the paperwork, like all that was all done and fine. I had to walk into this house, get this dog, euthanize this dog and then leave. It was the most stressful euthanasia I've ever done because oh, wow. what if I walked into the wrong house, right? Like what, like I could think of a thousand things that could go wrong. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, I will never do that again. So we, if somebody asked me, can you go in? I don't want to be there at all. Can you just go in and euthanize? I say, no, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You need to just be here, be with, you know, be, be with, with me as I meet your animal. Yeah. And then if you want to step out, you of course can step out. <laughs> I can imagine the number of checks. What does the dog look like? How, you know, what's the house? How do I know? I mean, the right, right house. Once right I house. saw the dog, I knew, you know what I mean? I mean, this dog yeah. bless his heart. just the eyes completely crusted over. I mean, they had probably, I don't know. It's dog could have been 25 years old. Like it's just Aww. poor little thing, you know, but so I, I was like in my brain, I could defend this euthanasia to anyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that doesn't well, make it, that obviously doesn't make it less stressful for me. So 
Sadly, as our dogs get older, they can start suffering from all sorts of physical ailments, stiffness, arthritis, and inflammation of the joints. It catches up with even the best of them, but they don't have to struggle in pain. For a long time now, Angel Oil, our exclusive CBD oil, has been receiving incredible reviews, helping alleviate pain and suffering in our beloved dogs. To give CBD oil a go, visit the show notes today at theonlinedogtrainer.com. When you use the code PODCAST, you'll get 20% off our full range of CBD products. The, the, the story I really want to share, I know I shared one about Inca, but the, the, the dog Peanut, who when she passed away, I had this thing I had to be there when she took her last breath. And luckily, no. you know, she had, I think it was her kidneys were packing up, so she, she was kind of just shutting down and... And I walked into the... How old was she? I think she was 13 and a half. Oh, yeah. She was a big Ridgeback cross. So she was a big girl. Mm. It was a pretty good life. She did, well, amazing life, pretty good age, very good age. I walked into the lounge, walked down the corridor, and I just heard her. She'd been doing the... And then... And then this time she was really going into the... Is that panting or was it like a, a heavy breathing? Heavy, heavy gasping for air. So it was different than panting. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I went to be when I looked into her eyes. Mm-hmm. I was right there. She she just looked straight at me, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 I I looked at her, and she just just fixated on my eyes. Same thing. It's like oh. absolute love. And it was the most when- un, it's the most incredible experience to be there. And it's like all I remember feeling is this absolute. It's okay. It's absolutely okay i love you it's all good um and you gave her permission gave her permission and yeah there was was there, there was, at any point yeah, yeah go on you know go was there any point because you've had you had such drastic differences and experiences between inca and, and you know one euthanasia yeah. and then one a, a quote natural passing you know and was there at any point with Peanut that you were freaking out, that you were thinking, I need to get her euthanized so that this doesn't go on? Or you seem so calm about it now, which is beautiful. Yes and no. There was that thing of, do I need to get somebody in or is she going to pass over? Okay. Because that was the big fear, of course. That's the big fear yeah. I'm sure most people have is I don't want my dog to be in pain. I don't want my dog to be suffering. But I had a good enough, I felt like I had a good enough gauge on where she was at. And I felt like she wanted to pass over naturally. Mm-hmm. There was a mm-hmm. feeling yeah. like That's she beautiful. said, yeah. I got this. I'm part of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. I know how nature works. I can hold this. Inca was a far more fragile little girl. She was like a little, didn't, very worried, very squeamish. Peanut was more of a big solid, she could handle of the her. Earth. Right. Yeah. She was a tough cookie. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. You know, and I, I wish, I, I wish that there were a, a, I wish that a higher percentage of people had that type of kind of um, embracing of that natural process, because when we talk about quality of death, that's exactly what I mean, which is, you know, you don't want to be freaking out in those moments. You, you want, and if it happens fast like that, which there are certain disease processes, congestive heart failure, hemangiosarcoma, like there's certain disease processes that go downhill really, really quickly. And when we, when I do hospice with those families, I, I try to explain to them, like one of two things is going to happen. You know, you're going to make the decision to euthanize a little sooner than you want to, but because you want a very particular experience for your pet, or you're going to wait until that cliff happens, you know, cause there's some diseases that are kind of like a cliff and when they go downhill, they go downhill fast. And you don't know until they go downhill that it's super bad like that. Mm. And you don't have any warning. So when that happens, you know, be with them, be present, just mm. be, be calm and loving and put your hand on them and hug them and love them because it's going to be over in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want that time to be in rushing to the ER or throwing them in a car and all of a sudden half halfway th- there you know they're they're dead and instead you're able to just sit and love on them and have that confidence that obviously you have as well you know i think that probably 51 percent of that for peanut was your confidence Mm. in her yeah and knowing that it's going to be okay we got this we got this we got this it's all good when peanut was passing away there was probably two or three days where she was just heading downhill Mm. um 
And I, I'll tell you this story because it's just changed my life again. She always danced to the harmonica. Oh my Played a harmonica. Didn't plan I it. Just my mate went, and she was like, dead. what on earth are you doing? She, you pick yeah. it up, she danced. She couldn't, she was like, oh. Anyway, before, um, about, about six months before she passed away, somebody was playing a harmonium, which is a squeeze box, or it's a box about so big with some keys, and the Indians play them and sing. And I've always loved singing. And I was like, i got to get one of those. It sounds like a harmonica. So I bought it three, four months before she passed away. Never really got into it, played it. Before she was, two th days before she passed away, I thought, i got to play it. I haven't played it to her yet. Mm. Went and got it, sat there. She's lying there. I'm singing and playing. This song came through me with, which, which I'll, I'll, I'll share the link on on this on this podcast um, when I put it up. This song came through me, and I sang this song for her, and um, and and it was the most phenomenal connection as she slowly, you know, lay there listening. But the big thing that happened was there was this phenomenal point in time and moment where looking into her eyes. On this kind of last day, she just looked at me and she just said, be here now and experience love. It was like this phenomenal thing was she was saying, it's okay. It's like, I know I'm passing away, but I'm not in extreme pain. There's the other side. I know where I'm going. It's all good. And, and there was this incredible, like I said before, looking into her eyes and feeling a moment of absolute pure love. The, the, she had the greatest amount of love for me and I had it for her. And I was crying and she was just looking at me. And she said, life doesn't get any better than this. Not because yeah. she was dying, but because the connection was as deep and as intense and as pure as any emotion I've ever had. Yeah. And it was like, wow. Yeah. To miss that, I can't remember exactly how soon it was before she passed away, but to miss those moments, I never, if I ever want to cheer myself up and remember we can have the feeling of love at any point in our lives, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, I can hook back into that time. It was, so it was the greatest gift I've ever been given. Wow. The gift of being able to tap into pure love. Mm -hmm. She looked at me and said, this is what it feels like. Can you feel that? And so I do a lot of men's work and relationship work. My wife and I, it's what we do. I can come back to that place of love because it's anchored in so deep in my heart. Yeah. It's there. And yeah. And I think that when that losing that is such a difficult thing for a lot of people because you have this you have this perspective that you can tap into it and you remember it and it's there for you. And there are so many families that we work with that it's one person and they lose that and they don't feel like they can feel that anymore. You know, they don't have it anchored in them and you want it physically. You want that eye gaze constantly. Like you look for that when you come home and it's that loss is a very, it's a, it's a real loss to a lot of people. It is. It is. I, so how I, do you I, teach people that then? You know, when, when like, what, what would you say if someone's like, yeah, but I lost it. I don't have it anymore. So for me, there's almost a, a phase of, there's the grief of the loss. Mm -hmm. And there's that transforming of that grief into the emotion of the love that you had when you had that. If that makes sense. I don't have peanut with me anymore and I'd love to pat her and cuddle her and look into her eyes. But what I do have is is the, the feeling and the memories which I can take that love from that experience, from those all that time, and I can bring it into the present moment. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm trying to encourage people that it is possible to in the same way that you can think back to a holiday, you're not on the beach in that holiday. I remember going to America. I remember standing in Yellowstone. I remember standing on that big car park looking for the wolves. And they were so small. They were like pinheads up in the trees. And it was like, it's a wolf. <laughs> I can feel the excitement. It's like, mate, it's a pinhead. You couldn't tell if it was a cat or a bear. Yeah. 
right, everyone's right. so excited. It's like, yay, we've seen a wolf. We saw a real wolf. Yeah. So the emotion yeah. you can bring back and it's and it becomes a pattern like a muscle. So, you know, I'm guess I'm trying to encourage people to be with their animals, to see them. I mean, this is only my experience, but I'm sure I'm not oh, we're all special. I'm not that special. Yeah. I'm sure other people can have the same experience, but you have to choose to connect and connect deeply because I feel like if I mean I'm I'm not the expert here, but I feel like if we if we sever the kind of it's all bad from this point on and don't want to don't want to really you have to sink deep into that grief at the time for me and feel it. That's what I did. I mean I cried and mourned as she was passing in a way, but with an open heart of love for her. Mm. So it wasn't like panic and but I felt it and then it's anchored in and yeah I guess I'm so and I so hope and would love more people or I don't know how many people do but to connect deeply with their animal at that point mm -hmm. rather than withdrawing yeah and and I and I, I would say that that's that's 99.99 percent and particularly of, of our clients I mean we yeah. Yeah. People that search and in you know seek out an in-home euthanasia yes. are the, the best of the best. They're the best clients. Now, listen, they're not always the wealthiest, and they're not always going to be oh. the ones that did everything that the veterinarian said to do. But they're the ones that love their animal, and whether or not that is you know, the farm dog that was outside with his owner every single day and his, his owner's, you know, business partner, if you will. Right. Or yeah. it's, you know, the little tiny teacup chihuahua that was with their pet. Like they all have different relationships with their animals, but at the end of the day, it's all the, the people that use us are the ones that are just the, the, the ones that love their pet yeah. the most. And they have that connection. And I think that we get, I even get a lot. And if you ask any veterinarian, this would be the case there's a significant amount of our clients that actually don't have other human connections in their lives. Mm. And therefore, you know, we have a particular subset of, of clientele that um, their animal is their only friend, you know, their only family, their only outside, you know, of their own self, the only connection that, that they have. And there are a lot of those people that are, <clears throat> it's difficult for us to leave the home because you don't know how they're going to be after you leave. Yeah. You know, so that, that is a certain, but to be honest, I mean, I tell you that there's a, a percentage of veterinarians that are the same way, you know, they didn't have any other human connections in their lives. They didn't have, they had deeper connections with animals than they did yep. with humans, which then inspired them to become veterinarians. And it's this very, I'm sure, I'm sure you would, you know, see this too in your subset of the profession is that, there are people in the animal world that don't connect well with other humans and they are very connected to animals. And I think that that can, that can be a positive and it can be obviously a negative as well, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely something that, that I witness good and bad, you know, from, from my vantage point of watching them pass, pass away for sure. Mm. So Beautiful. it's fascinating. I'm yeah. looking at the time going, wow. We could chat for hours, but probably I've got all these questions. I don't think I looked at any of them. Just lovely when you have a conversation and it just flows. <laughs> it's right. It just flows. So is that, how can people find out more? Obviously people are going to be going, well, what's the best place to. Yeah. Well, lapoflove.com is our website. Um, so obviously we have tons of information on the website, just tons. And, and we've done that on purpose because at three o'clock in the morning, when you're up and your pets whining or crying, you don't know what to do, you know, go on, go online we have videos, we have, um, articles, we have just a whole bunch of stuff, um, yeah. that can hopefully help people. We also have, um, a tele advice line. So that is a conversation with uh, one of our doctors, that can help you through the quality of life conversation of your pet. It's not medical advice. It's not prescribing medications, but it's, it's talking to experts in this field that have done this, this type of practice for a long time. And you just simply want a new approach um, to what's going on. So there's tele-advice. Um, and then, you know, where you haven't expanded to New Zealand or Australia yet, but that is in the works at some point. Wonderful. So hopefully at some point we'll be out there, but there are doctors I know in the area um, that do in-home care. And yeah. if they don't advertise specifically in-home euthanasia, at least you can, you know, Google just mobile veterinarian, in-home yeah. veterinarian, and you'll find doctors that do come to the home. Yeah. And the last thing too, is that we have, um, when COVID hit, 
we started a pet loss support department um, just because we haven't seen anybody else really do it to the scale that we needed it. So yeah. we went ahead and, and started a pet loss support. Um, so we have three things that we do for families that need it. We have number one, free Zoom pet loss support groups that meet almost every single day of the week, completely free Zoom in from anywhere. So that, that's one. Number two, we have, um, I think they're eight week classes where you can go once a week to the classes. And so it's a little bit more for people that really just need a little bit more content, maybe some intellectuals out there that kind of need to understand like why we grieve from the inside out and kind of that's what helps through it. Yeah. And then the last is we have one-on-one coaching as well. If families really need just something that's a little bit more one-on-one. Wow. Um, But yeah. And then we, we started along with the pet loss. We do the only, the only one that I found anywhere is um, a pet loss support group for anticipatory grief. So people that are actually facing imminent loss of their pet. And then the other one is for children. So for children that have a loss and obviously the parents attend that with the children. Um, but so that's, wow. that's definitely something that anyone could take advantage of. Comprehensive. So yeah. So for anybody who's listening to this, you can go to lapoflove.com or you can go to the website. Where is it? I've got to get the right finger. Theonlinedogtrainer.com. If you're listening to this, go to theonlinedogtrainer.com forward slash lap of love. And what we'll do there, we'll have the transcription and all the links to um, all the things we've chatted about. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, that's pretty much it from me. Any final word? You know, I think the the last thing is what people usually ask me at the very beginning, which is how do you do this? You know, why do you do this? And I would say that there are very few jobs out there in this world that you get a thank you for every single moment, every time you have an interaction with a client. Mm -hmm. And we get the most immense, incredible thank yous, like thank yous with a tear in your eye. I mean, nobody gets that these days. Like think about, you know, the person at the grocery store, like do you get a thank you for what you do? And and that's why the doctors like me that choose to do this work, there's an immense, it's a, it's a calling that we have. And we, we elect to do this work. We want to, we know that we're good at it and we provide something that is only a very few amount of people on this world, you know, on this earth can provide. So we do this very much on purpose and we do not deal with compassion fatigue on the opposite. We're the ones that aren't, are the least most, you know, compassion fatigue because we choose this work and it's something that we embrace lovingly and get a ton of fulfillment from it. Like just wow, brilliant. you go to bed at the end of the night, you know, and, and obviously my heart hurts for the families that have lost their pets that day, but you know that you did a good job and that you provided something that is appreciated. Mm. And that's, there's a lot of fulfillment that comes from that. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you for having me again. Hey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Been awesome. Thank you, uh, Dr. Danny McVetty, for coming on the show. And for those of you listening, thank you for tuning in and staying with us. And um, yeah, you've been listening to another edition of the Doggy Dan podcast show, where we believe that within every dog is a good dog, and within every good dog is a great dog. Have a beautiful day. And uh, as always, love your dog. Bye bye. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog.